Grapple Fan. We're into the second half and we've made the necessary substitutions. And we're at, let me tell you some things. Rerun the rivalry. It's Danielson versus McGuinness. And it's myself, your regular Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lord Commander. And your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross. We did think of subbing him out for Marlon Harewood. It worked for a Villa against Newcastle that one time, but we'll keep it as to what it is for now. But we're switching to a, a conversational 5-3-2 instead of the previous 4-4-2, which is, I speak four sentences, <laughs> then I speak four more sentences, then Simon says two words. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Simon. <laughs> That's good. You're staying in your lane. You like <laughs> Oh, It's like Psychic Simon with Alan Partridge, isn't it? I, I, I feel... That's my lot in life sometimes. <laughs> but Simon, where are we? When are we? And what is at stake? And what has happened in the interim? Where are we? Glorious Las Vegas. When are we? The 19th of October 2007. What's the name of the event? Survival of the Fittest. What is Survival of the Fittest? Is it an animal? No, Neil. It's a Ring of Honor tournament. We see a lot more of those these days, but that's Tony Khan for you. Yeah. It's a 20-minute time limit first round match between Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness. How convenient, to quote Eddie Hearn. What's happened in the interim? Keen-eared, listeners. We'll remember that the last match in the series was for the number one contendership. Now, Brian won that, but as Lorcan alluded to, subsequently was unable to beat Morishima. And in the process, nearly lost his, the ability to see. But Nigel McGuinness is our current reigning, but not defending, Ring of Honor champion. He'd won the match at the previous show. I finally figured out in the interim... What, how the pay-per-view had worked. Number one contenders match had actually taken place at a show called Domination. Well, Yeah. And two weeks later was the Driven show. So they recorded it for Domination, but they aired it at the Driven show that came out two weeks later. So that's the way that it worked out. And at the end of this pay-per-view, where Nigel, at the third time of trying, was finally, as the title of the show said, undeniable and defeated Morishima. So he did what Danielson failed to do, which is beat Morishima and win the Ring of Honor World Championship. And retain the ability to see. Yes. Out of both eyes. And as is regularly the case, when a new world champion is crowned, the other wrestlers from the locker room come out to celebrate the occasion. Some of them had started trying to do that when Morishima beat Homicide, and Morishima just beat them up so no one else bothered. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't aware of the custom. (laughs) Look at these! Mr. Simpson, please, it's just an act. (laughs) Tell the paramedics to see my medalert bracelet. (laughs) Stop, he's already dead! It's kind of like when Brock Lesnar got signed by New Japan briefly in between his WWE and then NFL and before his UFC run. And he came to New Japan and they wanted to do the spot where he meets Antonio Inoki and Antonio Inoki, instead of accepting a handshake, slaps him across the face and Brock Lesnar says thank you because it's about this whole thing of giving his spirit to that. And Brock Lesnar's like, I'm not going to let an old man slap me across the face and not kill him afterwards. So that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just the customs. It's just a cultural misunderstanding. But anyway, 
Nigel McGuinness wins the world title, and that's like a double celebration, because not only has Nigel finally done it, one of the huge events that doesn't happen that often in Ring of Honor, a title change occur, two in one year as well, very rare for Ring of Honor. And Nigel's there celebrating, and who comes out afterwards not to congratulate him, but to get right in his face and say, you aren't champ yet, mate, because you never beat me when the title or anything close to the title has been on the line. Except for the pure one, I suppose. That's not how this works. <laughs> this is a hollow victory for you, in the eyes, or the eye at least, at that point, of Brian Danielson. And Austin Aries got involved in it as well, because again, this was like setting up a, you know, who are the various people that could be in contention. And so now you're establishing Austin Aries and Brian Danielson as the two key figures now in the chase for the Ring of Honor world title. But that fact that Danielson got into McGuinness's face, and instead of congratulating anyone winning the world title, he's basically saying, you aren't anything yet, is the basis of this match going in, especially the way that the match is booked at the end. So whilst McGuinness is the champ, and this is his like little kind of celebration, he's still wanting to be that fighting champ, and he's got to prove something. And the fact that he's entering a tournament as well, Survival of the Fittest tournaments. Yeah, now I don't know a lot about Survival of the Fittest. Just fill me in a little so bit. So the Survival of the Fittest was inherited from a former, I think it was the Shane Shamrock Cup. I might be wrong there. It was indie wrestling in the early 2000s. Every promotion was making it so they had at least one annual tournament. CZW with their best of the best for the junior heavyweight scene and the King of the Deathmatch tournament for their deathmatch stuff. You had the ECWA Super 8, which was one of the first big events for Brian Danielson with Loki, along with that King of the Indies tournament in APW. PWG have their Battle of Los Angeles. Chikara have their Trios tournaments, etc., etc. There was also like IWA Mid-South also had a King of the Death match, and they also had the Ted Petty Invitational tournament, which was their version of like the Super J Cup, which was in tribute to one of the two Public Enemy guys that I misheard that, and I'm like, what, the guy who did free falling? No, that's Tom Petty, son. <laughs> Don't get petty with these names. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I was free falling into a good point there until you pulled me up. Well, not in that hopefully way. you won't back down from making it. <laughs> I don't know that many Tom Petty songs, so let's go. Let's stick to <laughs> Yeah, I'm tapped out here as well, myself, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> He's just one of those ones that obviously meant a great deal in the US and in the UK. We're just kind of, okay. Well, I don't know I mean, what... they're, good, they're good songs. He's good, but yeah. I'm not sure quite why he gets to be a traveling Wilbury, but here we are. You know? <laughs> it's what the Yanks think about Robbie Williams. Oh, <laughs> let's not pull at that, Fred. So the format of the Survival of the Fittest tournament, they inherited it from that promotion that I think went under. The format is that there are six singles matches to qualify you for the final which is a six-way elimination match oh okay the first one that was held in 2004 was won by brian danielson this was when he was coming in and out and they had to keep him strong enough so that when he lost to someone it was significant and the importance of that one as well is also that that was the match that really brought the recently signed austin aries because he was the final like like the first half of the match went 20 minutes everyone else got eliminated except for Danielson and Austin Aries then they went on to have a fantastic 20 minute sequence and it was a real coming out party of Austin Aries who at that point everyone thought was going to be like the second in command after Alex Shelley 
who'd been positioned as the leader of the group initially. Okay. But then Alex Shelley was tied up in TNA a lot more than the other ones were, and so he wasn't there at all the shows. Austin Aries was just getting over more and more with these matches against Danielson and the like. And so come the end of the year, Austin Aries kicks Alex Shelley out of Generation Next. Then on the same night, wins the Ring of Honor World title from Samoa Joe and is a cemented main event guy. So the survival of the fittest event put him on the map. The next year they have it, and it's won by Roderick Strong. And Roderick Strong also beats Austin Aries in that one, and that whilst they were Generation Next teammates. And that was, again, a statement of... Because Roderick Strong had always been, like, the third in the chain, like, for Generation Next, so he was always one that could take the fall. But they yeah. were starting to build him up that year and say, this guy's got potential, because it was, like, soon after that, Danielson has won the world title, and Roderick Strong's one of his first great rivals for the belt as well. And then the year after that, it was won by Delirious. <laughs> well but that was at the point where delirious had been this fun mid card act and then it was like the fans love him so much and he is a good wrestler let's see how we can t- how far we can take this gimmick in a relatively serious promotion like ring of honor delirious didn't then get the main event push like aries and roderick strong got part and then very soon after that he then became the key backstage guy for like 10 years at ring of honor i was gonna say wasn't he like that Head trainer for a while. Head trainer and booker for, like, way longer than Gabe Sapolsky was. So that's what we've got going into this fourth iteration of it. And I think you kind of knew going in. It's sort of like the whole Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, or Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada. It takes them more than 30 minutes to wrestle a normal match. So I don't think the G1 30-minute time limit is going to help us here. Whilst... To be fair, the driven match was only 26 minutes. Them going 20, it seems kind of crazy. And as a result, this match almost, almost feels like it's as close as they would come to having like their exhibition match that they travel around the circuit with, that they don't put as much harder work into like they would if it was a Ring of Honor event. Mm. And so it's really just a technical wrestling display. It was like, we're not going to bludgeon each other like we do usually. We're not going to headbutt each other into oblivion. I'm just going to out-wrestle you. Well, I'm going to out-wrestle you. So I'm going to go for your leg. Well, I'm going to go for your arm. And that's pretty much how the, the match, match goes, really. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. We, we see... What's, how, what do you describe it as when they drapes the foot on the bottom rope and he sort of, like, squats onto it, like, squat drops onto it? Yeah, just one of those. It's not got, like, a special name or anything, like the dragon screw. It, I feel like it should... It doesn't. We see we see those which we haven't seen in. I don't think we've seen in the other matches. They they do go a little bit off the beaten track. Yeah, this is the first time that we see Danielson targeting the knee, and there's a really good part early on because it's Nigel's knee gets hurt pretty quickly, and also pretty quickly Danielson just wrenches off his knee pad for the left leg. And so then when McGuinness tries to go into the technical arm ringer sort of you know that UK British wrestling, I'm just going to keep hold of your arm. You're not going to be able to do anything about it. Instead, and I don't even know, it was kind of reminiscent of the work that Danielson did with Zack Sabre Jr., where is it how they set it up, or did Danielson just realise, well, if I'm now within, like, stomping distance of the back of his leg, I should really stomp the back of his leg? <laughs> it's hard to tell with Danielson. It's, it, it makes it look so instinctual. Mm. So it's not like a great facial expression aha moment he just does it <laughs> yeah but he does also do a lot of mugging and overacting and again like it's funny because he slaps hands when he makes his entrance but 
much more really than the driven match this was danielson as dickhead heel like he is basically dickhead heel at this point shaven completely shaven now as well yeah and mcginnis is local ace like captain america like sting yeah like hiroshi tanahashi that sort of baby face and as we get to the finish of the match, it's funny because it does play into what Danielson said. You haven't proven anything yet because after they go the 20-minute time limit, it's McGuinness that wants to continue. And it's not even his belt that's on the line. Survival of the fittest just won't mean as much to him at that moment. Yeah. So it's not really in his interest to do it, but Danielson's taunting him. He knows he's got one up on him again because, again, McGuinness doesn't even have him really that close to being beaten. He's set up at that moment for the Tower of London, but... Yeah, he's not been worn down chronically, unlike the uh, Epic Encounter match where both of them are basically spent by the end. Yeah, it was essentially just a who is the better technical wrestler exchange and it's funny again because again to refer back to that danielson zack saber jr match when in the later end of the match danielson goes for the rope to break the hold and mcginnis is just like you coward (laughs) in this match when danielson has him in a submission hold early on and he's taunting him to go to the ropes because you can't out wrestle me to get out of this hold yeah then what does mcginnis do out wrestles him gets him in the hold and danielson's the one that has to go to the ropes it's just that it's the little touches and they do feed into the narrative they've already built with this story it's not a, i don't want to say nothing is but um i guess exhibition is, is is the apt word it's not a complete exhibition but then again you would get that sort of behavior in an exhibition match i mean i've been we've, i've been to house shows that's the, is the kind of thing you do yeah it's danielson trying to retain a psychological advantage for the inevitable title match that they will have with each other yeah and yeah, we just get to the finish and Danielson like implies he's going to do the five more minutes thing, mm. but then just attack McGuinness before a bell can be rung. And then McGuinness quickly crouches him in the London dungeon, his armbar submission. Yeah. And Danielson does the symbolic tap out that McGuinness gets. So he gets, again, McGuinness gets the visual win, but yeah. not the win win. Because the bell was never rung exactly. for an extension. And Danielson, with his tail slightly tucked between his legs, makes a hasty retreat. But still mouths off. Yeah. For McGuinness, he's world champ, so winning this tournament doesn't mean as much. For Danielson, he's already won that tournament. And he knows that he's going to get a title shot eventually. Because he knows that McGuinness will want to give him that title shot eventually. Yeah. So, it's just a fine little thing for what it is. This whole show is kind of a bit of a controversial... One of Gabe's more wilder and weirder booking decisions. Again, probably another sign of the beginning of the end trying to ha- starting to happen for McGin- Gabe Sapolsky because he books it that the final, Chris Hero, is kind of doing a silly comedy act almost. But he ends up winning the event and pins literally everyone else in the match. So everyone else looks like an idiot to him. I, I don't want to go into it all, but it was a really weird booking decision that he made. Do you think he was feeling the heat at this time and wanted to like stand out more? Maybe. I think Survival of Fittest was obviously, Sapolsky saw it as his way to experiment. And this was post-CZW Invasion Chris Hero, so he had to make something different from him. At this point, he's managed by Larry Sweeney, part of the Sweet and Sour Incorporated. And he had been feuding with Nigel McGuinness before McGuinness won the title. And they'd ha- that was when they'd had that event. I think it was where they had a pure rules match. Mm. And the lights went out, and Chris Hero claimed that McGuinness had used all his rope breaks whilst the lights were out. (laughs) 
So that was sort of, I think he got... The story I heard was that he was getting into a bit of trouble backstage that he was kind of... He was just doing these whole things of, like, doing cartwheels and headstands and everything and, like, doing almost like a circus act. And the crowd would pop for it because the crowd, you know, as we saw with the headlocks in the Epic Encounter 2 match, the crowd really just want to have a laugh, it seems, at a lot of wrestling. Yeah. Oh, we've all seen that. Another sign of Danielson's versatility that he got over in the WWE crowd, the WWE way which was just give him the simplest thing possible. As we said, it was funny because I kind of realized it when I was describing it to a friend. It was like, well, basically, Jake the Snake was called Jake the Snake in the territories because he was a slippery customer. He was, you know, distrustful, mercurial, and you never knew where he was, and he could attack you at any moment. Comes to the WWF, you're carrying a snake to the ring. Yeah. (laughs) Here is your literal snake. (laughs) Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's called Ricky the Dragon Steamboat because he looks a bit like Bruce Lee, does the martial arts stuff. Comes to WWE. First, it's you're going to carry a Komodo dragon to the ring. And then when he comes back the next time, you are going to spit fire before your entrance. Are you sure it's a Komodo dragon? Because they're like the massive poisonous ones. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what they build it as, whether it actually was or not. I'm telling you now, there's no way it would have been. But they had like a snake versus dragon situation where Jay the Snake was about to hit him with the snake and then he produced the dragon to scare him off. But anyway, <laughs> not, his, not what you would usually call your dragon. And I don't even know if that would... Sca- I, bet, I bet Ricky Steamboats was glorious to look at, actually. <laughs> Everything else about him was. <laughs> Jay the Snake's Roberts, bloody hell. It would not be... Ugh. <laughs> oh. Anyway. It might be scaly, but it might... <laughs> <laughs> do you remember do you remember when he came back to Raw and um, CM Punk had to tell him it was a PG show because he was pretending the snake was his penis yeah <laughs> a young Emmy Martinez was watching that thinking <laughs> well Emmy Martinez and, and Deep Thought don't seem to go hand in hand It's he's a very instinctual man is Emmy Martinez which for a goalkeeper you need to be in fairness <laughs> But yeah, Brian Danielson, when he comes to the indies, he's this hard-working technical wrestler who knows everything, can do it all, comes to WWE. Uh, if I just say one word over and over again, I'll become the most popular guy in the whole of wrestling. And uh, we'll main event WrestleMania. Yeah. Mint. Easy. <laughs> Peace, piss. Don't know what you're moaning about, Nigel. But we'll get to that. <laughs> or Phil. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've said, like, Brian Danielson is the wrestler and the person that CM Punk thinks he is. Yeah. But, again, not for this time. Well, just quickly, good enough match. Again, even more superfluous than the epic encounter. If I was to put them in order of importance for you to watch, this would be below that and probably below in the ratings. Like, my range for this would be three to three and a quarter stars. And that was all it had to be. That was all it was meant to be at this point. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that. Mm. Just, Just there, did its job. Made sure they were both not in that elimination match, which I guess they kind of wanted to protect them from both being in it. Gabe was like, how am I going to get Chris Hero to beat both of these guys? <laughs> <laughs> that would be stupid. <laughs> oh, so there is a limit. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> but where are we for our next match, Simon? Because it's a big one and another shifting of the dynamics in the relationship. 
we are having a little bit of a birthday celebration and wrestling mums told us we can go to the wacky warehouse because it's ring of honor's sixth birthday well they call it anniversary but potato potato so it is the ring of honor's sixth anniversary show taking place on february the third and we're finally in the year of our lord 2008 what a great year that was there was a euros but i can't remember who hosted it we didn't because we didn't play in it (laughs) Oh my god, it's that one. Yes, I remember. Never mind. Um, We are at the Manhattan Center in beautiful New York City, New York. And it is Nigel McGuinness, still champion, defending against Brian Danielson for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Danielson's waited and waited, but here he is. Here's his opportunity. With some added stipulations that aren't explicitly stated in that, so they might come as a bit of a surprise to you, Simon, but it's related to stuff we've talked about already. And boy, has Nigel found heavy is the head that wears the crown. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with some more Shakespearean references that you will look at blankly as you read them, how can they do no, I, I, I know the Shakespeare reference. I was just thinking of uh, DJ Khaled suffering from success, that meme. Wasn't it also uh, what Stormzy called one of his albums? I'm not sure, but I think he has a song with that name or mm. something like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why, what are we doing talking about Stormzy? Christ. <laughs> We're out of depth here, son. <laughs> but until then, Simon, how can people get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I am standing as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of stars that Lorcan gave this match. My name is Lorcan Munnan. That's L O R C A N M U W L A N for the A N in the animal kingdom from which the notion of survival of the fittest comes from and is used as an excuse for right wing bigotry. <laughs> you cold cocked me there, son. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. I hope you will continue with us as we go on our journey to rerun the rivalry.